Father, we do thank you so much for this privilege we have to come together and worship you. We're so glad we belong to you. So glad you love us so much. We pray you speak your words into our hearts and change our lives and make us more like Jesus because we've been here. Pray in his name. Amen. Well, there was this guy, and he decided he wanted to become a monk. So he goes to the monastery, and he talks to the head monk, and the head monk says, you can become one of us, but you have to make a vow of silence. You cannot say a word. For 10 years, you can't say a word, but at the end of 10 years, you can say two words. So he agrees. So he becomes a monk and then goes 10 years in silence. At the end of 10 years, he gets to say his first two words, and he said, food bad. <laughs> so then he goes another 10 years. He gets to say two more words. He says, bed hard. Finally, he goes 10 more years and says two more words and says, I quit. <laughs> well, the head monk said, I'm not surprised. You've been complaining ever since you got here. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about quitting. Have you ever thought about what would it take for you to quit following Jesus? What would it take for you just to throw in the towel and no longer be his follower? Now, we're in a spiritual war, and our enemy is the devil and his demons, and they want to undermine our loyalty to Christ. That is their goal in a spiritual war. They want to bring us to spiritual defection. So they would use different strategies and tactics in, in order to try to bring this about. But their goal is always the same. Their goal is our spiritual defection. Now, we've been studying this series on the churches in the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and 3. There are seven churches that the ascended and glorified Christ is addressing. And these churches are under spiritual attack. The devil is trying to bring about their spiritual defection. And what we'll see is that he uses a different tactic or strategy with each church trying to bring that about. Now, these demonic strategies are not, you know, new for this particular time in history. These strategies that we see he is revealing to us are strategies that the enemy's been using throughout history and strategies that he's using even today against our church and against each one of us. Now, Jesus will talk about how to be an overcomer. What he means by that, how do we overcome the devil's attempts to undermine our loyalty to Christ? And he will actually give us the key to how to handle each of the demonic strategies that come against us and overcome them and stay loyal and devoted to Christ. Now, so far, we've looked at three of the seven churches. And we've seen three different strategies that the devil brings against the church. And we've also seen three ways to overcome, a way to overcome each strategy. The first church was a church in Ephesus. And we learned that the first strategy of the devil is to attack our communion with Christ. See, the devil knows that out of this relationship with Jesus will flow our life, will flow our ministry. So if he can somehow get us to leave that communion with Christ, to leave that affection and devotion to Jesus and not walk with him as our first love anymore, then, then we will become spiritually impotent. We'll no longer be a threat against the devil's kingdom. So what the devil tries to do is get us to have all other kinds of priorities, 
all other kinds of things that we give our first love to, and that we begin to drift away from that simple communion with Christ, and we lose our spiritual power. Now, how do we overcome this? Jesus tells us how to overcome this. We overcome this by regaining our first love, by going back to those spiritual disciplines that we did before that helped us walk close with Jesus. Regain those disciplines and regain our first love. Now, the second strategy that we saw was the strategy that the devil used against the church in Smyrna. Now, this strategy was simple. It was persecution. It was intimidation and fear so that the church would be so fearful of what might happen to them that they might suffer loss or harm or even die if they follow Jesus. So they back away. That's the whole idea. And so that's the strategy, the strategy of persecution. How do we overcome that strategy and stay loyal to Jesus? We saw primarily that the way we overcome that strategy is through having an eternal perspective. By remembering that life here is very brief, short, but we're going to live forever in glory. And a glory that's coming is worth going through whatever suffering we need to go through right now and to stay true to Jesus. Now, the third strategy that the Lord reveals we saw used against the church in Pergamum. Now, this strategy was a strategy of compromise. So if the devil can't get us from the outside, he tries to get us from the inside. If he can't put enough pressure against us in persecution and intimidation to get us to fold, then he tries this third strategy, and that is inside to try to get us to compromise, to get us to compromise morally. Because the devil knows if we begin to become just like our culture, walk in sin and, and compromise in holiness, then we will lose our spiritual power and we'll no longer be a threat against his kingdom. We saw that the two key areas that the devil tries to get the church to compromise in, those two key areas are idolatry and sexual immorality. He, he used that against the church in Pergamon and he uses it today around the world uh, against the church to try to get us to lose our spiritual power by compromising in those two areas. Now, we saw that the way to overcome, to overcome that strategy of compromise, of course, is for us to walk in holiness. Now, today we're going to look at the fourth strategy that the devil brings against the church, and this is the church of Thyatira. And that message really is found in Revelation chapter 2, verse 18 through 29, and we're going to read that in just a moment. Now, the devil's actually going to start off by trying the same strategy he used with Pergamum. He's going to try and use with Thyatira. And that is the strategy to get them to compromise morally. But then he's going to do a whole different strategy. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you up front what that strategy is. And then when we read the passage, it'll begin to make perfect sense to you. But the devil's going to try this next strategy. And that is the strategy to just wear down the church. Wear down the church of Thyatira. Get them to lose heart. Get them to become weary, to not finish, to not run the race, to not endure, to not persevere in following Jesus. That's the strategy he's going to use. Before we jump into it, some of you, and I'm not asking for a show of hands, but some of you here in this room, some of you online, would probably admit just before the Lord that you feel that some today. You feel tired. You feel like you have lost heart. You feel weary. And some of you have even been entertaining the idea of just quitting, quitting the whole Christian life thing and beginning to just live for yourself. It's just, you tried it, you just, and you're just out of gas and you feel like throwing in the towel. 
Well, this morning, we're going to learn how to overcome that strategy the devil brings against us, the strategy to get us discouraged, to lose heart, to become weary, and to just stop running after Christ. Now, before we jump into that passage, let me give you a little background. Again, we're talking about learning how to study the Bible on our own. Every Christian ought to have a good study Bible, a good Bible dictionary, and a good Bible concordance, or an app that does those same things. What you'd want to do is you want to look up Thyatira Tyre and learn about the city, learn a little bit about the culture that Jesus is speaking to this church in that culture at that time. What you'd learn if you did that is you'd learn that about, about 190 B.C., Thyatira Tyre was conquered by the Roman Empire and was annexed by the Romans. And they became a flourishing commercial center. That's important for us to know. They weren't a religious center. They weren't a political center. They were a commercial center. Now, what we learn about that is we learn that there was a number of guilds or labor unions in that city at that time. The main industry of that city was dyed good products, uh, linen workers, makers of outer garments, leather workers, tanners, potters, bakers, bronze smiths. And the pressure that the Thyatira Christians faced came from the guilds. It didn't come primarily from political pressure or other religious pressure. It came from these labor unions. Now, how did that work? Now, to hold a job or run a business, it was necessary to be a member of a guild or one of these labor unions. And each guild had its own deity or God, little g, God. And what they would do is they would honor their God of their guild, of their labor union, at their feast. And so that included, obviously, idolatry. To participate in that feast, you're honoring that deity. And Christians who worked for those companies or businesses were pressured to be part of that feast. But also, there was part of that celebration and feast in that culture was sexual immorality. So there's pressure on the Christians to be part of all that. And if you weren't part of all that, you could lose your job. Now, give you a modern day example. There's a guy in our church some years ago that told me about a company party that was coming and the boss expected everyone to be at the company party, but everyone also knew that he invited strippers to come. And so they they felt pressure. The Christians felt pressure. If they didn't come to the party, they could lose their job, but they didn't want to come to the party where the strippers were. Give you another example. There's another man in our church that came to me, and his boss wanted him to go with him to a strip club. And he felt the pressure because the boss really was going to be put out if he didn't come with him. And so what does he do? He was wrestling. Do I possibly use my job or to go in and just not look. Kind of like what they experienced in the pressure to be in these feasts back when Thyatira is, do we kind of go and not really participate to keep our job? Or are we compromising to even go? Let me give you another example. I know of another man in our church years ago that said that he had a client that was coming in that wanted him to show him, to show him a good time. And he meant And his idea of a good time included immorality. And if he didn't accommodate the client's wish, he could lose that account. So you get an idea how those kinds of pressures could affect Christians 
if they thought they could lose their job. Well, that's what they were going through in Thyatira. The church in Thyatira felt that pressure to participate in these feasts that were pagan feasts, or they could lose their job. So that's what's going on in Thyatira. And many of the Christians uh, there were, were, were faced with that temptation to compromise. So we see that the first strategy that the devil uses against the church of Thyatira is the same strategy used back against the church of Pergamon, and that is to try to get them to compromise. Compromise in those two areas, idolatry and sexual immorality. Let's jump into the passage and read, starting in verse 18. Revelation 2.18, Jesus says, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like burnished bronze, says this, I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance, and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. So Jesus starts off with a commendation. And many of them are doing very well. He commends them. He commends them for the love they had for God that showed itself in serving others. And also they had a faith in God that showed itself in perseverance, even through difficulty. So Christ, who has eyes like a flame of fire, he sees all. He sees the good, but he also sees the bad. And now he addresses that in verse 20. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. That's what was going on in the feast. I gave her time to repent and she does not want to repent of her immorality. Behold, now remember, this is Jesus talking. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds. And, remember, this is Jesus talking, and I will kill her children with pestilence. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And I'll give to each one of you according to your deeds. So again, here we see the devil using the same strategy he used in Pergamum against church in Thyatira, and that was compromise. Compromise by going to those feasts where they're honoring a false god, which is idolatry, and participating in acts of sexual immorality. Now, Jezebel was not the woman's name, but her actions resembled this infamous wife of King Ahab in the Old Testament. So again, in Bible study, you'd want to look up the name Jezebel and see where else this name occurs and learn the whole story about Jezebel, the wife of King Ahab, this most evil king and most evil queen in the Old Testament. In fact, Jezebel, when you read her story in the Old Testament, you discover that her evil influence actually caused much of Israel to walk in these two things, idolatry and sexual immorality. And so it was wide, became widespread in Israel because of the influence of Jezebel. Now, this woman in Thyatira is just like her. That's why Jesus calls her this name. She apparently considered herself and promoted herself as a prophetess. 
And she taught others that it was okay. It's okay to be in those feasts, participate in those feasts, and it's okay to even participate in the sexual immorality that was part of it. Now, graciously, the Lord gives this false prophetess of Thyatira time to repent. He convicts her of her sin, gives her time to repent, but she will not repent. She refuses to. You know, by the way, sometimes people misunderstand when God is patiently giving them time to repent as God's actual approval of what they're doing because a hammer hasn't fallen on them. In fact, it's probably, and I'd say a room this size with this many people and those of you that are online as well, there's hundreds of people online right now as well, that with this many people, I'd say there's probably some that right now you are walking in some sin that you are aware of and you know it and you know you should repent but you've not been willing to do that yet and you need to understand that God is being very gracious and giving you time to repent. But there does come a time where the Lord runs out of patience and he does that with this woman that he calls Jezebel. Because she refused to repent, repent, Christ declares, I will throw her on a bed of sickness. Now you think, well, Jesus wouldn't do that. I mean, Jesus wouldn't. Sounds, Jesus, Jesus nice and kind, and he wouldn't throw her on a bed of sickness. Well, sometimes when we become so morally insensitive and deaf, the only thing that gets our attention is pain. As C.S. Lewis once said, the great writer and philosopher and theologian, he said, pain is God's megaphone to wake up a morally deaf world. And so God is trying to get her attention. Why? Because he wants her to repent. I mean, the God's goal is always repentance and restoration. God is not into just punishing. So he brings in discipline and chastisement. Why? To get our attention so we will repent. Why? So we can get back in a position to walk in blessing and wholeness. It's always out of his goodness that he does it. And by the way, Jesus still does this today. Some are sick and suffering today because they refuse to repent. And, and they're involved in idolatry, sexual immorality, and he's waiting because so, he wants you restored. And those things are hindering you walking close to him. You know, Jesus wants what's best for us, and so he'll do whatever it takes to do what is best for us. That's what love is. Love does for somebody what's best for them. But his goal is our repentance so we can walk with him and that is best for us. But he says this, it's interesting. He says, I will kill her children with pestilence. Now, Jesus isn't talking about killing little children here. He's talking about her spiritual children, those who have learned her ways and walk in her ways now and teach her ways to others. Those are her Jezebel spiritual children. And Jesus says that he also gives them time to repent, but if they don't, it could cost them their lives. And I've known, of, I've, known, I've known Christians that would not repent and it cost them their life. I've known Christians. They're, I mean, there is, according to the Bible, a sin that leads to death. It's possible for a Christian to walk in such rebellion that God just finally has to take them before they do any more destruction. I also know of Christians right now that are walking in rebellion and right now, God is waiting patiently for them to repent. And if they don't, the chastisement of God will come upon them. 
And if they still don't, even after that discipline and chastisement comes upon them, then God may take them. But not all the saints of Thyatira were compromising in sin. So let's continue reading. Revelation 2, verse 24. Jesus says, But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them, I place no other burden on you. So Jesus uses this phrase, deep things of Satan. Now, as, as a self-proclaimed prophetess, she probably referred to her teachings as the deep things of God. But Jesus points out they weren't the deep things of God. They were the deep things of Satan, not God. By the way, anytime I hear of some group that's, that's, that's break, broken away from the church, any church, and become their own little group, and, I, and they're under no spiritual authority, and I've talked to them, and I've, I've seen them out and about, and I ask them, how are you doing? How's things going in your group? Anytime I hear, oh, we're getting into the deep things of God, that always makes me nervous because I always wonder what they're talking about. What do you mean? And I'm also very suspicious anytime somebody claims themselves to be a prophet or prophetess. I'm suspicious. Now, I do believe that that spiritual gift still exists today and functions in the church, and there are many that function with that and with biblical guidance. But they're also, but anytime someone just proclaims themselves to be a prophet or a prophetess, I'm a little wary. One time there was a guy in our church and he came up to me and I'd never seen him before. Walked up to me and had a book he'd written. He said, my name's such and such. I'm a prophet of God. And this is my book. And I said, thank you. And I took it. Next week he came up to me. Have you read the book? I said, I haven't got to that yet. He said, you need to read the book and you need to proclaim me publicly as a prophet or a false prophet. I said, there is a third option. I can ignore you, (laughs) which I did. Don't be impressed with Christian celebrities, especially those who promote themselves. By the way, there's only one person famous in the kingdom of God, right? That's Jesus, right? You know, we, we don't need any famous preachers. We don't need famous churches. We need to make Jesus famous. Now, Jesus is going to give them a very important exhortation at this point. An exhortation that I believe is very important for us these days. Let's look at it. Verse 23. He says, Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end. Let's just stop there because he is talking about overcoming right here. Overcoming by persevering. Persevering is overcoming. When you feel like you have nothing else to give, when you've lost heart, when you're discouraged, when you feel lethargic, you know, and, 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 just, you know, and, and even in despair, and you refuse to stop, let that stop you. And you overcome by persevering. That's what he's talking about here. He says, hold fast. Hold fast to what you have until I come. Hold fast. The words actually give you the idea that it's not going to be easy to do. To hold fast. And he says, he who overcomes who keeps my deeds until the end. 
Satan tries to just wear us down sometimes. That's one of his strategies. Just wear you down. Just get you to lose heart, lose hope. After a while, you think, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. I'm ready to throw in the towel. I'm ready to just live for myself now. Do you know what's interesting? If you study the biblical characters, that hardly anyone finishes well in the Bible. Have you noticed that? Of the Bible characters, study them sometime. Hardly anybody finishes well. They have their high points, but so many that even have their high points don't finish well. Not even guys like Moses and King David, and the list goes on and on, that had their high points but didn't finish well. You know, some of you that have been around a while probably remember me the, when the Chicago Bears' famous running back was Walter Payton. And there was a Monday night football game in which the Chicago Bears played the New York Giants and Walter Payton was running. This Hall of Fame running back had the esteem and respect of so many. One of the commentators said while he was running, he did a little calculation, and he, con- he, just, he concluded that Walter Payton had rushed for over nine miles with the football. And the other commentator said, yeah, and that's with somebody knocking him down every 4.6 yards. See, Walter Payton, I think, I think he knew really well it's not getting knocked down but success means getting back up and keep running. And the same is true in the Christian life. We all get knocked down, all of us. We get knocked down, beat down, times where we're discouraged, times where things aren't going right, this disappointment is overwhelming us. And, and really, so, so it's not whether or not you get knocked down, because we all do. The question is whether or not we get back up and keep following Jesus. So many decide they've had enough and they just quit. And I've heard it so many times. I just don't think I have it. I, I, don't, think, I don't think I can do it anymore. I don't think I have it in me anymore. And they don't finish the race. There's an author by the name of Irving Stone who spent a lifetime studying greatness. He wrote about it, wrote biographies about great people. So he was asked the question, is there any thread that you have seen in all your writings of all these people who have really excelled, lived excellent lives and made a great impact? Have you noticed any thread throughout their lives? And he said, yes. And I quote, here's what he says. He said, they're beaten over the head. They're knocked down. They're vilified. For years, they get nowhere. But every time they're knocked down, they stand up. You cannot stop these people. Your perseverance really is a key to greatness. I love the story that is told about Andrew Jackson by some of his boyhood friends who wrote about him. He became, of course, a famous general and a famous president, but some of his friends, as they wrote about it, said, you know what? There were other people in our neighborhood better than him. So how is it that he became this famous general and president? And uh, one of the friends says, you know, there's a, there was a guy down, down our street He says this, I'll quote, why Jim Brown, who lived right down the pike from Jackson, was not only smarter, but he could throw Andy three times out of four in a wrestling match. But look where Andy is now. Another friend responded, how did there happen to be a fourth time? Didn't they usually say three times and you're out? Sure, they were supposed to, but not for Andy. He would never admit 
he was beat. He would never stay throwed. Jim Brown would get tired, and on the fourth try, Andrew Jackson would throw him, and he'd be the winner. See, I was just picking up on this idea, someone that went on to say, the thing that counts is not how many times you're throwed, but whether you're willing to stay throwed. So we all face setbacks. The question is, are we going to stay throat or not? Are we going to have the courage to get back up and keep going when you don't feel like it? You know, you can do a lot more than you think you can with God's help. You can press on a lot further than you think you can with Holy Spirit power. You know, I believe that there's some here today that just between you and God, you just say, you know what? I've been knocked down. I've been throat. I've been beaten up. I've lost heart. And I don't know if I have it in me to get back up. And maybe there's some here today you've already quit. No one even knows it yet, but already in your heart you say, I'm done with this. I'm here today, but I'm emotionally, mentally, I'm done. I've had enough. Well, the word of the Lord for you today is to get back in the race and to finish the race. You have a calling. Your calling is irrevocable from God. And you are to finish it. You are to follow him until he returns or you just, your end of your life but you cannot quit. Back in 1972, NASA launched an exploratory space probe named Pioneer 10. The satellite's primary mission was to reach Jupiter, to photograph the planet and its moons and beam data back to Earth about Jupiter's magnetic field, its radiation belts, its atmosphere, and so forth. The scientists regarded this as a very bold plan, and they, they wondered if it'd even get far enough, if it could get past the asteroid belt to even get to Jupiter. But they sent it. And Pioneer 10 took off on its mission and accomplished not only what they sent it for, but much, much more. It actually swung past this giant planet of Jupiter on November 1973. And that was all this mission was supposed to be. But then it was hurled by the gravity of the planet Jupiter and actually went another one billion miles and was able to send information back about Saturn. And then it, went, and then it was hurled another billion miles and sent information back about Uranus and then went on for three billion miles to Neptune and then four billion miles to Pluto. And by 1997... 25 years after it was launched, Pioneer 10 was more than 6 billion miles from the sun. Now, despite all this immense distance, it was continually beaming back information to Earth, to the scientists. Now, why do I tell you this story? I'm telling you this story because what is most, you know, remarkable to me is that the signals that emanated from this satellite were all emanated from an 8-watt transmitter. Now, some of you that say, well, I don't know what that means. That's how much power is in a nightlight in your bathroom. So this little satellite that could was not qualified to do anything close to what it did do. The engineers who designed it actually designed it for a three-year mission. But it kept going and going and going. And it kept sending back this information with this little 8-watt transmitter. This is more than anyone thought possible. 
I tell you that because I've, I've met so many Christians that consider themselves kind of like that 8-watt transmitter. They think, I don't have that much to give. I don't have that many gifts, that many strengths, that many abilities. How can God even use me? What's the use? And to those who think that way, I want to say this. God not only wants to work through you, he will work through you, but he can't work through you if you quit. So you say, okay, I don't want to quit. What's going to be my motivation to keep going? Well, that's what Jesus says next. Here's the motivation to not quit. Here's the motivation to persevere. Revelation 2, verse 25. Nevertheless, what you have, Jesus says, hold fast until I come. He who who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end. Okay, here it is. Here's the payoff. To him I will give authority over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So what is in view here is those overcomers will participate in the millennial reign of Christ on the earth. When Jesus comes again and we meet him in the clouds at the rapture of the church, then we'll have resurrection bodies. We'll come with him to earth. He'll set up a thousand-year kingdom, according to Revelation chapter 20, and we will rule with him. And then there will be a new heavens and new earth, and we'll rule with him, the Bible says, forever and ever and ever. So this internship right now, we're in an internship. The real job's coming. An internship showing that we are faithful even to the end, and he can trust us, and then he's going to put greater authority on us in the kingdom to come. And... You get the morning star. Now, again, Bible study here, you'd want to take your concordance out and see where else this phrase morning star appears. And here's where you'd see it. Revelation 22, verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright morning star. See, there's going to be a great adventure coming, guys, that's worth hanging in there right now. There is great glory coming that is worth enduring now. And there is great reward beyond our imagination, all that's tucked away in that morning star connection. That is our motivation to never quit, never give up. No matter how disappointed you are, no matter how weary you are, no matter how much you've lost heart, you keep going because that's where we're headed. That's what we're living for. That's the motivation. Persevere to the end. Persevere, stay true, don't quit. Why? Because it's going to be so worth it. I want to invite the worship team up here as we close. I want to invite everyone else to stand. We're going to have a closing song. But I believe that the Spirit of the Lord is speaking to several of you into two different categories. Some of you, I think he's calling you back to your ministry. There was a time you were involved in ministry and you've kind of stepped away. You've kind of prematurely retired. The Lord's calling you back to it. He's calling you back to that. Even if you are tired and weary and lost heart, he's calling you back to your ministry. And many of you know that's you. But also, there's some of you that I think that God wants to use this ministry time just to lay down your disappointment, lay down your weariness, lay down loss of heart, lay it all down at this altar. As we close the song, just come on your seat and come up here and say, Lord, I'm laying that all down and I'm going to stay true to you.
And then we're going to pray for you, for God to give you the strength to endure, to persevere. There are harder days coming than we're facing now. Harder days are coming. We need to be those who know how to endure and persevere and say, true to Jesus. So some of you need to be prayed for today. So don't let this ministry time slip by and not receive the prayer that you need to stay on point. Keep following, no matter how you feel. So in just a moment, I want to invite you to come and we'll, those of you that need prayer, come up. Father, thank you so much that we're the ones you love. And thank you, Lord, that you have called us. We pray, Lord, you would now empower us with that grace we need by your spirit to continue, no matter what we've been through, to stay true and keep following you. So if you need prayer for that as we sing the song, come on up. Don't hesitate. and We'll pray for you in just a moment. invite some of you to come out of your seats and just lay hands on shoulders of some of these that came down here for prayer. We need several people to slip out here real quick. Just put a hand on a shoulder and begin to pray for them. Don't let anybody be up here without a hand on them praying for them. Go ahead and slip through quickly. Come on up. We're all in this together. We leave no one behind. Father, we ask you just to breathe on these. Just breathe the breath of God on them. Come, Holy Spirit. Just put the wind back in their sail right now. 
fan the flame. Jesus, let it come. Let it come. Strengthen them. Give them the perspective now to get back up, to run again. And Lord, we pray for all of us. Lord, I pray we lose no one. That we'd all finish well. That we'd all run hard until the end. Before we're dismissed, I just do want to say if you're it's your first time here today, I'd love to meet you over here in this welcome corner before you leave. And also I have a connection corner for any questions for our staff. And if you have further prayer requests, we'll have some leaders down here to pray for you as well. We thank you for today, Lord. And we ask you, Lord, that you get glory out of our lives this week. We pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody says, Amen. 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 God bless you. Dismissed. Give him a hug down here before you go, would you?